In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Are you a plus or a minus? Are you adding to the design that your kids have, that God's design has for their lives, or are you getting in the way of that? It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Equipping Men in 10. I am Jim Ramos, and I'm here with my good buddy, Dale Culver, how you doing, my man? I'm doing really good, Jim. Hey, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. It's a, a glorious day in Oregon. I actually see blue out today, which will be one of our five days until June. So that is very, very nice. And so, how are you doing with COVID and with your kid and school and all that? <laughs> you really want to know? Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. Oh, God. Sunday church answer. Hash, hashtag blessed and living the dream. <laughs> hashtag. I want to wake up. <laughs> Hashtag liars go to hell in a burning lake of fire. So anyway, well, it's tough. It's tough, man. So, hey, if good to have you on. And... Out there. If there's any tutors out there, I'd like to um, say just give me a call. Email me. Um, I got a little guy that would love to hang out with you. Yeah, we've podcasted a couple months ago. He set off the fire alarm in here. And so it got, yeah. it got a little Western. Accidentally. So. Yeah, accidentally. <laughs> so, hey, I want to remind our guys to head on over to benintherena.org. And pick up a free copy of my brand new book, Guts and Manhood, Four Irrefutable Laws of Courage. And guys, I'm super pumped about this book. We're only offering it free for the end of the month. And then we're going to go get that thing to the publisher. But for you, Arena Man, we want to bless you. And so make sure you head on over and do that. So and there's a study uh, at the back of each chapter. And I'm actually going through that with my virtual team. Super excited about that. So, hey, Dale, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about our guest today. Uh, this guy uh, also has raised uh, three sons. They're right about the same age as my sons. He was all about uh, sports with the kids growing up and dealt with traveling sports. And And I just think traveling sports is such a great thing for kids, but it can be so difficult to navigate with spirituality and, and, and focus and helping your, your, your kids to uh, to to love God and not idolatri- idolatrize sports. And so uh, he's got a great book called More Than a Score and really excited to get this guy on. But before we bring him on, do you got a man word for me t- for today? 
I do, and I have a question. Uh, I just wondering how he still has hair with having three sons same age as yours, and you yeah, don't. but look at how gray it is. Yeah. <laughs> if if I had hair, it would be dark. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm telling you, I've said this forever. Bald guys look younger because you can't you just shave the gray off. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Bruce Willis is like champion the bald man. Anyway, uh, what were you gonna say about the man okay. law? Man word. Yeah, my man man word here is uh, I was just reading through his bio here and I saw the title that he has for him, and I'm like, oh, I live this, I love it. And that word is analytics is a great man oh you you've been learning that word a lot lately (laughs) hey i i gotta i gotta give you a shout out dale one of your posts last week had fifteen thousand likes it's it so i i really sixteen thousand likes for the man arena so uh guys yeah appreciate what you're doing with social media and analytics dale and uh so why did you pick analytics as your word well it honestly, you know, as much as I hate it, you're like, I want analytics every week. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, but it lets you know where you're at. And uh, if you're trying to set a goal and get somewhere if without your analytics, you don't know how well you're doing. So if you had an analytics chart for your wife, oh, my gosh, or she I mean, actually, she has it for you where every week she would fill out an analytics chart. Yeah, I'm onto something, aren't I? And she gave it to you on Monday. This is what I noticed last week. Oh, my gosh. That would be life-changing, wouldn't it? There would be no more of this, okay, I'm leaving you. Why? I have no idea. Everything was great. Well, the funny part about that is we're going to talk about a friend of Pat's named Flip Flippin. And uh, and Flip pulled an analytic program on Pat, and he asked Pat to rank his marriage. And Pat's ranking and his wife's ranking were a little bit different. So we're going to talk to Pat about this in a, in a second. And Pat, I, I appreciate you, man. I was a catcher all through high school and uh, went to college and played football. But you and I would have been a battery together because you were a, a pitcher. And so Pat Combs uh, was an All-American and academic All-American at Baylor University as a pitcher. I, he was a lefty. Lefty, right? That's right. Lefty. Yeah, he's a, where he, he later was inducted in a Baylor Athletic Hall of Fame. He spent eight years playing professional baseball as a collegiate athlete, and he represented his country in baseball for Team USA, and they won the gold medal. I think it was the first ever gold medal in baseball, and so pretty pretty cool. Currently, Pat is a behavioral analytics consultant. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like he's pretty smart. For numerous professional athletes, uh, Major League Baseball, NFL teams, and corporate leaders. Uh, he's a broadcast color analyst for Fox Sports College Baseball and serves on multiple corporate and nonprofit boards. Pat, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, friend. Man, what a blessing, Jim. And, uh, yeah, we would have made a really good-looking battery. I, I, I totally agree with you, but uh, great to be with you and Dale today. Thank you, guys. I am honored to be with you. Well, I'll tell you what, back in the day, I would have had a full head of hair and a mustache because, you know, it was it was the 80s, so everybody had a mustache. <laughs> and a mullet. <laughs> well, no, you know what? You were a pitcher, so pitchers could have that cool mullet. I was a catcher, man. No mullet here. And so I was a little bit too redneck for the mullet, you know, party uh, in the back and business in the front. So, hey, Pat, can you do us a favor and just give our guys some context of your life and give us about uh, five, ten minutes of your story? And I know you've been married to, Chris, is it Christina? Yes. Christina, for almost 31 years, you have three sons. You live in South Lake, Texas, and you're 53 years old. But besides that, what are some other pertinent uh, aspects of your story? Oh, man, Jim. 
Well, hey, look, I, I'm just, uh, I think of myself as one of the most blessed human beings on the planet. Uh, got to play baseball at the highest level uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies and experienced that. Um, what, what a joy that was. You know, great teammates, great teams. We went to the 93 World Series, got beat by the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, some of the baseball fans out there remember Joe Carter hitting the walk-off home run to beat us. So that was a heartbreaker, but um, got to participate in that. Uh, playing for the USA baseball teams was just a tremendous honor. You know, when I put that USA jersey on and walked out with uh, the red, white, and blue across my chest, I mean, there was just, as I think back in my life, no greater sense of pride than, than representing my country in that way. And then to win the gold medal in, in Japan, uh, or I'm sorry, Seoul, the Seoul Olympics in 88, we beat Japan, but uh, that was uh, that was just huge. And, and like you said, Jim, first gold medal ever for the U.S. in baseball. Uh, but, uh, you know, those are career highlights. I mean, the, the real true highlights of my life uh, is my family, my friends, my faith. You know, I, I just the three F's really stand out to me in, in terms of uh, who I was before I came to Christ. And then what he did in my life that, um, you know, obviously saved me, but but sanctified me and has uh, just kept chipping away at this uh, at this jar of clay for so many years. And yeah. I'm so thankful that. Um, that Jesus found me through baseball and uh, it was through baseball chapel that I came to Christ and that relationship with him. And uh, Jim, I was one of those guys that absolutely uh, had a 180. Uh, I was just living life as a heathen, worshiping the game. And it was all about that. And uh, when God got a hold of me, um, it, it was a radical redirection. And, you know, a lot of my teammates, friends just uh, uh, couldn't believe the change, but, you know, a lot of them were shocked too. So, just walking through that and then obviously having three sons and being able to coach them and, and uh, live a life of, uh, of a, really a, a dream that I wanted to have and being able to, to coach and mentor and disciple my, my sons and all the way through uh, their college athletic careers. And now one that's playing for the Miami Marlins as a catcher, but uh, man, what a blessing. You know, I, I've, I've lived a, like, like Dale said, I've lived the dream. I've lived a, a tremendous life. We've had our ups and downs. God has certainly taken us through some valleys, but, so thankful that I have a relationship with a living God who loves me and cares for me and has given me an incredible family and, and great friendships. Man, that's really awesome. I appreciate that. Hey, you know, I got a question. You, you're, you're a baseball guy. So our, our local little McMinnville, Oregon, you know, our, we, one of our claims to fame is Scott Brocious, who yeah. is, I think the 90, 99 world series MVP. Is he one of, is he one of the coaches for uh, the national team now? I heard he was coaching for the national USA team. Yeah, I know he's been involved with USA baseball. I'm not sure if he's a head coach or an assistant, but I know he's a, he's involved. Oh man, yeah, we tell people McMinnville, Oregon, we have the Spruce Goose and Scott Brocious, and they go, oh, <laughs> we know we know both of those. So anyway, hey, I want to get you in here, and I want to throw you if uh, just we're going to throw you right into it. You're an, you're an athlete, so you're going to handle this very well. It's called our Rapid Fire Round. And what I've done is I've pulled phrases out of your book, and this round is called This, and you're an athlete, This versus That. So I'm going to pull words out of your book, and I'm going to ask you to explain what they mean in the context of your book. So the first one is this. On page 10 of your book, you wrote this. We don't get to design God's plan for our children, but we do get to discover it. So the ver this versus that is design versus discover. Yeah, I mean um... – it really is. It's, it's, are you seeking God? Are you seeking God's plan for your kids' lives versus trying to define it yourself? Uh, so I think that's wow. really what that gets down to. And that's a huge issue with sports parents. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's I think, Jim, one of the biggest topics uh, that I see in the game today, especially as youth sports has become more select. And I know you're going to talk about that, but we've gone from this, you know, wreck, let's have fun, let's let's get the kids together on Saturdays and play, to now this this huge movement towards, you know, you, you got to help your kid create the path to get him to a D1 scholarship or to pro ball, and it's just totally changed the landscape of, of youth sports. Well, and it's crazy because we are in that we were in that mode, and my youngest son is a college football athlete. He's been a four year starter as well, so we've went went through that whole thing. And you know, every kid's every kid's a D one athlete. I just talked to a parent literally three days ago who said, "Oh yeah, my ten year old's being scouted by D one for football." I'm like, "No, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, he's ten he's ten years old." McMinnville, McMinnville's not even a fifty fifty sports program, so don't tell me that. So, but everybody's kid is a D1 athlete. So, hey, the next this versus that, and this is a little bit more obscure. It's in on page 17 of your book. And the two words are cause versus because. Oh, man. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. When we, we discover our kids cause, right? And if it's sports, uh, how do we best support that? And uh, if it becomes our B, you know, our, our B cause, <laughs> because we want uh, the design for them. We want to mold them in the way we want it to go. Uh, we're, we're out of God's provision, right of God's plan. You know, it's again, it goes back to that discover piece too, Jim. It's, are we seeking God? Are we abiding with him? Are we discovering what God's plan is for them? And that's simply, I think it's not complicated. You know, what are the gifts and talents that God has blessed your kids with? Uh, and I see more parents trying to push their kids in a different direction, or maybe in the direction they, they thought they were supposed to go. And it becomes their cause, not their children's cause. Now, that's really powerful, man. You know, we 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 push who we are to our kids. You know, we we only know what we are and what we're good at. And we so that's our sweet spot. So I never push my kids musically because I was not musically inclined. And so the issue with parents is when we we push our kids into something that may not be their giftedness. How do we? help them discover their cause. I just thought that was very powerful in your book, cause mm. versus because. I, I, when I stopped and I circled that and I thought, that's really good, man. So on page 27 of your book, uh, you made a comment and I thought this was really powerful. Uh, the guys listening to this podcast right now, we had a, a review from a guy in the Czech Republic. They're all over the world listening to this, but these guys are living in the stress bubble. They have kids in the home. They're doing the best they can to to father their children well. And on page 27, you asked us a question that I think we have to address. Are you an asset or liability? Can you address that? Yeah, Jim, it's, I think the simplicity uh, of that question is, are you a plus or a minus? Are you adding to the design that your kids have that God's design has for their lives? Or are you getting in the way of that? You know, when you guys refer to the behavioral analytics side of what I do, uh, it's it's really not super complicated. You know, we we have behaviors that are working well for us, uh, that, that put us in positions of leadership and help us to perform. We also have constraints that get in the way of us doing what God has called us to do or for God's design for our lives. And so it simply comes down to behaviorally as a parent, what are we doing that's helping our kids on their path to success and what God's designed them to be? And how are we getting in the way of that? And what are those behaviors specifically that are preventing our kids from going where God wants to take them? And that, that to me is the whole focus in parenthood, Jim. It's, it's really distinguishing those things as an asset or liability. You know, in financial terms, 
We've got assets. They're hopefully they're growing, <laughs> getting better. Uh, they're working for us. And liabilities are those debts that get in the way sometimes of, of uh, having good financial health. So I kind of pulled from that idea of linking it back to us as parents. You know, what are the pluses and minuses in terms of, of how you're parenting your kids? Well, you know, that's as, as you're speaking, Pat, I'm thinking about this. When for a guy to ask the question, am I an asset or liability to my family? Mm. He's most likely already an asset because liabilities don't ask that question. Great point. Great you know, point. and so, yeah. so, so we're in a sense, we're preaching to the choir, but what we're saying to these guys is it's a constant metric as a parent. Am I being an asset right now? Like I've got a, I've got a, one of my sons right now I'm struggling with, we're having a relational struggle and I've, I've realized uh, at this point I'm being a liability to him. I need to fix that, mm. that component, right? Just being very honest. And so I've been an asset all my life, but in the last couple of months, he sees me as a liability in a sense. And so trying to gather that metric and adjust, right, so that I can father him better. Oh, man, that's huge, Jim. I, I will give you a quick one as well. So um, if you look at my behavioral metrics, I'm an overly nurturing person. Uh, love to connect with people, love to encourage. I'm, I'm a coach at heart. So that's how God designed me. He hardwired me to be a, a nurturing person. I can overplay that strength. It can become a liability if I overplay it. And I'll tell you, early in my marriage with Christina, when we had our kids, she was a disciplinarian because she is a lot more critical than I am. And uh, that is one of the things that I was mentored with early in my marriage was, hey, you got to step it up, man. You, you can't let your wife be the disciplinarian. God's called you to that role. You know, equally it can be shared, but you definitely got to step it up. You've got to be more clear, more concise with your instructions, and, and especially hold your kids accountable. And when they get out of line, you've got to hold those consequences too. You got to give them the consequences and deal with it appropriately. So, Jim, that's a huge thing. And I and I just really think uh, in terms of the asset liability talk, it goes back to uh, us recognizing those behaviors that are working well. Sometimes we overplay them. Sometimes we need to step it up in areas. And that's, uh, that's, that's huge, man. Well, wow. it's funny. I laughed at your book made me laugh because <laughs> I'm reading this book going, you know, we have a mutual friend, Kent uh, Evans with manhood journey. And uh, you know, Kent's a hardwired baby. And I just <laughs> love that guy, but I'm reading your, I'm reading your book going, dang, this guy sounds so much like me. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 wife is just on it. I mean, I've got a woman who's on it. She's so on it. It's so, but I tend to be with the kids. You know, I, I tend to be the guy who's like, let's, you know, hey, the house, hey, life before laundry. You know, and so <laughs> right. uh, and so having to come back because when I don't do that, I, I dishonor Shanna, and then and then it gets really bad. And we've ha we've had some our biggest issues in marriage have been dishonor me dishonoring her. And mm. you shared that in your book. And I really appreciate your vulnerability. And one of the things I liked about you, Pat, in your book is there are a couple phrases I use all the time. And the guys in this podcast get sick and tired of hearing them, and, but, and, but you have it in your book. So we're going to say it again. And I want you to talk about lawnmower versus helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I hope those aren't getting too overused. I, I, you know, I see oh, it all no. now, right? <laughs> well, you know, you, you think of that lawnmower parent, you know, again, it goes back to that. Are, are you creating your child for the path or are you trying to create the path for your child? And that to me, that's mm. a lawnmower parent trying to mow down everything in the way of their kid being successful. 
And uh, it's just not healthy, Jim. I mean, we, you know, the, the greatest things I think that happened with our sons was them going through trials and tribulations and stumbling and, and you know, just screwing things up, man. And then God working their lives and, and of course, us surrounding them and with prayer and, and helping them through things. But yeah, you got to let your kids stumble and fall and make those mistakes. And lawnmower parents just are not allowing their kids to do that. They want to protect them in every circumstance. Then you think about the helicopter parent. They're just hovering over their kid everywhere they go, right? They're, they're the one with the with the clipboard, making sure their kid gets the right playing time. And and uh, it's just, uh, it, it creates a, a toxic atmosphere for the kids. And I tell parents this in sports, especially, you know, if you're calling the coach, asking about playing time or trying to coerce the coach or you're sending him gift cards or taking him out to dinner, whatever that is, right? That's a helicopter parent. You're, you're way too involved. And um, you, you got, again, give your kids the freedom to make the mistakes, to learn, to grow. And uh, it's okay if they, if they fail. I, I can tell you story after story of our, our kids that went through some really tough uh, stuff in life, Jim, and, and they got to the other side. And the beauty of it is they learned, they grew, they committed themselves to making a, a promise to God. God, I'm never going to allow it to happen. Now you, you hear that and you go, oh my gosh, but um, but that's the thing you do when you make those mistakes is, Lord, you know, help me understand this, learn through it, grow through it, get better so that it doesn't keep happening. And so we got to see that with our boys. And I'm, I'm glad we had a good balance uh, with, with those two things. Well, that's a great point, Pat. You said a good balance. And I was not a music parent. I was a sports parent as well. Or I guess I would say I still am a sports parent. The propensity of a sports parent or a parent with extracurricular things that their children are involved with is, is we go to those things. And in your book, you talked about, uh, I think $10,000 a year for traveling sports per kid. So when you're that invested, you're at those events because good parents go to those events. And so there's a propensity of the sports mom or dad to be a helicopter, right? How do they, how do they overcome that temptation in the midst of traveling and going to all these events and having all their weekends taken by, uh, sports. How does how does a parent find that balance? Yeah, it's, it's difficult, Jim. I think the first thing you have to do, obviously, is evaluate the talent level with your kids. And it's hard for a parent to do that, you know, with objectivity. So it's really important you, you develop relationships with coaches and people who can give you feedback and tell you what level of competition your kids should be at. Um, it was easier for me. I, I went through baseball all the way to the top. I, I could see the talent in my kids. Um, and if anything, I was probably harder on my sons and not putting those rose colored glasses on. Um, but I think that's one of the most important first steps in, in terms of parenting, especially if you consider your, your son or daughter a high performing athlete or you think they're an up and comer. Get some independent viewpoints on that, because if you're going to go down that track of playing select sports, it's a tremendous investment. And Jim, you mentioned ten thousand dollars and people go, what? Well, I'm, I'm telling you, if, if your kid plays club volleyball or, or select baseball, uh, you're talking sign-up fees of at least a couple of grand. You're talking uniforms, which can be five hundred to a thousand dollars. You're talking travel fees, which if you're playing out of state and going to different venues, uh, you got to you got to add all that into the equation. And uh, it's not unusual for parents to tell me, "Hey, we're going to spend anywhere from seven, eight to ten thousand dollars this summer for our kid to play at the highest level of competition." Well, and in your book. And I can't find it right now, but you 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 wrote about the percentage chance of a guy, a kid, young man or woman going D one, going 
professional baseball. Do you off the top of your head have those statistics for just so our parents can get a reality of, of juniors skill level? Yeah, Jim. So if your kids have made it to that high school level, they've made their high school team and they've got talent that first of all, they're going to get noticed, you know, colleges, recruiting coordinators, they're, they're everywhere looking for talent. So uh, don't feel like you've got to promote your son or daughter. There's all these recruiting services that you can pay thousands of dollars to, to get your, your name out there. And I, I would say this, unless you're in like a really small town where you just don't have access to a lot of coaches or, or guys, people coming in to see your kids, that, that may be something to think about. But if you're, if your child is good enough, if they have talent, I promise you they'll be found. Um, so save your money on a lot of those recruiting services. Second thing I would tell you is um, the percentage of kids from high school going to college athletics. This is D1, D2, 3, JUCO, you know, NAIA. Uh, it's about 8% of kids that play in high school. So you take that number down to about uh, less than 1% will get a chance to play beyond the college level. So if they make it to college, then about 1% of those athletes actually get to go on to play professionally. So in, if you take it all the way back to Little League and we've got uh, youth sports, there's I think there's 17 or 18 million kids in the U.S. playing uh, some form of youth sport, maybe more than that now, but um, the percentages of them making it to play professional sport, whatever it is, is like 0.004%. I mean, it's just a minuscule number. So we well, you go yeah. back to that why, Jim, of why you're involved in sport, define that why. Because if your why is starting out that my kid's going to get a scholarship to play college ball or to play professionally, that is the wrong why. That's such a good point. You know, you're, you're, you're an ex-major league baseball pitcher. I want you to, I'm going to do a fact check with you. I ran into a guy on vacation a couple years ago who was a, who was a scout for the, for professional baseball. And he actually said that as far as scouting goes, they have physical metrics they use to analyze pitchers, height, weight, uh, uh, arm length. Is that true? And so they can actually tell the potential of a professional pitcher based on physical metrics. Is that true? I mean, that's part of it. It's not the entire metric that they, they use, but that certainly is. Yeah. The physical makeup of a, of a player certainly goes into that, uh, into those variables. Well, I know, and I know as far as football goes, you know, there is a metric. If you look at the D one athletes, you know, an offensive lineman, he's a six, four to six, six kid. He's in the 300 to three forty pound. If you look at a D two kid, he's in the six, two to six, four range. He's in the 280 to 330 pound. It's a different looking 300 than D1. D1, it's a six foot one to six three kid. So there are definite metrics and there's a speed metric. There's so many metrics that a parent can use to assess. But what you said in your book really stands out and you mentioned it earlier. I want to go back to it. You said this in your book, page four. I believe one of the most important questions we can answer as parents is why are we spending our treasured time playing these sports? And you, you continued, if we answer this question well, it becomes our barometer and compass. Our why helps us define our purpose, and that helps us identify the real wins and losses, those beyond the scoreboard. So, Pat, what is the most – what do most parents answer when, from your experience? What is the why? What is the, the most common why that parents answer when they ask this question? Well, the, the most common answer, Jim, you referred to it a lot earlier. The most common answer is I want my kids to play in college or professionally. That's that's kind of the mindset when they get their kids signed up to play sport. 
And I think the massive movement that we need to see in our country is the why should be turned back to character, life skills, virtue, godliness. Um, you know, let's teach our kids those skills and use sport as the platform to do that. And let the byproduct be the winning and let the byproduct be if your kid's talent is good enough to play, they'll go play higher levels. You don't have to worry about that as a parent. Let them develop. But let's focus on the why being I want my kids to have fun. I want them to learn team skills. I want them to learn all the life skills that they can get from playing a sport that are going to they're going to use for the rest of their lives. So when you look at that statistic, Jim, of most kids, 70 percent now of youth athletes, are done playing their respective sport by the age of 13. Now I ask wow. myself, why is that, right? And I think a lot of that has to do with overbearing parents, too much pressure, the kids aren't having fun. Uh, it gets to be, you know, just a, a, a tough deal for kids to stay in the game when they've got uh, all of these pressures of, of expectations from their parents. So the kids aren't having fun by the time they get to 13, and it becomes more of a, of a job. You know, and you know, playing youth sports with your son, he's training year round. And if he's not, other kids are passing him up. So he has to have that passion, that drive, that motivation that he's going to do that on a daily basis. What is he doing to improve, to keep up and excel at his particular sport? And if your kids don't have that passion and drive, then let them just have play the game for fun. Well, and that's the a potential issue for parents who are spending, let's say, six to $10,000 a year on traveling sports is there's a very serious investment you know let's say a family makes a hundred grand a year you're talking 10 percent of their income and they're investing in one kid and and so i could see a real problem between that one kid and the other ones in the family who may not be as athletic you know that's exactly right yeah create some family friction for sure yeah that that investment with our kids i mean you just got to weigh those costs out and i think jimmy bring up a good point too in relationship to other children within your family um, what is that going to look like? You know, are you better off putting that money into a 529 account so your kids can have some college dough when they're ready to go, right? So did you see that with you? So you had three sons that played, I think they all played college sports. It seems in your book that one maybe excelled beyond the others. Did you have that issue you had to deal with? Well, I, I tell you, growing up, they were all uh, competitive. They they uh, they love sports. My oldest son actually became a hockey player of all things in Texas. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> but he, uh, I, I became chaplain with the Houston Arrows hockey team when I was done playing baseball, and he just fell in love with it. And we had some great great times with those hockey players. And they would, we actually had a, a few guys live with us in the summer, and and uh, it was just a lot of fun. We had some of the best street hockey games ever, and I think in the history of Texas. But um, you know, it, I would say that they, they were all competitive. They all had their individual sports. Carson was more hockey. Connor and Casey, my two younger ones, were more baseball, football. And they played a little bit of basketball in high school as well. But uh, but they all just enjoyed competing and, and playing. And our job as parents was to distinguish, you know, which of them wanted to go on and play at a higher level. How do we best support them in that? How do we best support their skill sets in that? You know, so we we did private lessons. We did some of those things that you have to make an investment in, but that's because our kids were, were competitive enough. They wanted to play at a higher level. We saw the talent and they wanted to develop it. And I told the guys, I said, look, if I make an investment, I want to see a return. The message there is not pressure. The message is if I'm going to pay for these lessons, if I'm going to pay for you to play select ball, you got to have the passion and you got to have the drive to do it and play it with excellence. If I see a loafing or, or not competing well, 
we're going to have conversations about that because now I'm going to say, look, this is going to be on your dime if you're not going to give it all, yeah. you, all you got. Right. So I, I think that's a, an important conversation too. If your kids are that competitive, have that return on investment, talk with them, not to put pressure on them, but just to make them realize the, the expenses and the things that you're putting in to, to help them get where they want to go. No, that's really powerful, man. And, and, you know, as, as a good of a baseball player you were, in your book, it sounded like hockey was the end of your career. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have, have a, little hockey, a little hockey stick to the groin area. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I well, promised. Good. Myself, yeah. Oh, Jim, that's a that's a bad memory. Um, I, I <laughs> Sorry, I just, I was, it just came up. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I, I grabbed myself just to. Uh, yes. Anyway, um, so here's the deal. You know, you think about. I didn't know hockey from. Donald Duck. I, I just, I love the sport. I love watching it, but I, I grew up in Texas. I had no idea what ice hockey was all about, but he wanted, you know, it, it, at home, he would play roller hockey in the street. That's how he would work on his skills. And so I promised, I said, look, I'm going to learn how to, how to skate so I can just help you, you know, play with you. Um, and it became full blown neighborhood games in, in the middle of our street, Jim, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it, we had 30 kids out in the evenings playing roller hockey and some evenings, and uh, just one day, my, my middle son picked up a puck and started skating. And I was going over, not skating hard, but I was going over just to try to cut him off a little bit. And he just made a move. And I grabbed him as he as he started making a move towards me. And my stick jammed into the curb. And the butt end of the stick hit me in the groin. It, it was uh, That was a painful moment. That reminded me of that first scene in the movie Braveheart when they stick those spears in the ground and impale those guys. But oh. anyway, well, hey, you survived, man. And we're, I'm glad you did. You, you said something really powerful on page five. Honestly, this might have been the most powerful statement for me in the entire book. Mm. On page five, you said this because as a parent, I struggled with this as a parent of young guys that were traveling. And now I see fathers struggle with the same thing I struggled with. And I'm going to ask you about this. We're going to jump into the weeds a little bit. You said our goal needs to be unity within an objective that honors God. Mm. And then on page 122, you complimented that statement with this. The problem is when we parents buy into a lie. That is such a powerful statement. And then you continue. We've let youth sports systems have way too much control over our children's lives. So let's jump into this. Mm -hmm. How do Christian fathers, the guys listening to this podcast, how do Christian dads honor God in the midst of traveling sports that take them away from youth group and church? Now, I was a youth pastor for 25 years, mm -hmm. and, my, and my kids were sports kids, but I learned that my sports kids were not the most committed kids in my youth group because they were gone doing sports. How even my own children, how do we as dads create that balance to help our kids love Jesus more than sports? Oh man, Jim, that is. I I I am with you. I think that is the most important question for us as parents who are trying to follow Jesus and, and make great decisions for our kids. I've had a lot of conversations with pastors over the years about that topic. You know, and same thing, right? Pastors saying, Hey, where were you? We weren't here, you know, for the last couple of Sundays. Well, we were traveling, playing ball. And, you know, here's, here's how I would answer that, Jim. The church lives within us, right? So our number one calling is to be the church, is to disciple yeah. our kids. That is what God calls us men to do. If we're not discipling our kids, we are missing it. 
And so I encourage dads, look, it's okay to play travel ball. If, if that's where God has called you and your family to be on a Sunday morning, playing baseball on the field, what can you do to supplement where, where you may, may have wanted to be at church or maybe where you're thinking you should be at church? But what has God called you to do that morning? It, it's to disciple your kids. We always started with prayer with our, our kids. We always uh, were in Bible studies with them and helping them to learn the word. Um you know, praying at night with them. I mean, it, it, to me, that's the, the, the disciplines of a Christian father should be disciple your kids. And so I don't think travel ball gets in the way of that. I think it, in fact, I think if God's called you to that arena, not only should you be discipling your kids, you have an opportunity to disciple other families that are traveling with you. Um, you know, we would even offer Bible studies to the, to the kids when we were traveling on the road. So we did everything we could, uh, Jim, to supplement and to do that outside of the church walls. And I think that's that's really the answer. No, that's really powerful. You're asking dads to step into a role that many men never step into, and that is the role of you are the discipler of your kids. And if you can't be there on Sunday, you still have an obligation to disciple your kids. We had a guy on our podcast recently named Todd Wilson, and he said this, and I thought it was really interesting. He homeschooled eight of his children. Wow. All eight, they homeschooled him. And so one of the things he said that was powerful for me, because I public school educated my kids, he said, you are a homeschool dad. And for the, for the parent who has, their, who has children who are traveling, that homeschool mentality is probably wisdom, where we need to disciple our kids even if we're not in church on Sunday. Exactly right. Yeah. I, and I think that, you know, we don't have to rely on our pastors or our, our youth pastors to do that. Um, I, I love that they can. I love that you were there, Jim, you know it. I mean, you had so much influence with kids' lives. Um, it's an incredible role and God used you in, in, in that way. But I think that's the number one calling for me when I became a father was that God said, I've entrusted these children to you and, uh, and you and Christina need to raise your kids up in my ways. That that's what I heard clearly from the Lord. So let's let's step this up a notch. So you've been married almost 31 years to Christina. I have a good friend I'm thinking of right now who does not go to church anymore and one of the reasons is his kids were highly highly involved in sports. And this guy is a pretty solid Christian guy, but one of the questions I've challenged him with is, but what about your wife? Mm. What are you doing to disciple your wife? And so how how do you lead your wife and your kids well in the midst of, uh, and, and you and I, you and I, I don't know if I've said this out loud, but you and I understand that traveling sports takes you away from Sunday church. So how do, and, I, and I'm not bad mouthing that it just, it is what it is. How do we as men disciple our wives along with our children? What did you do with Christina? Yeah. So we, uh, we were involved in home church outside of our, our church walls. And for many years, I, I would say almost 20 years, we had a home group. Uh, we led home groups. We also participated in home groups. But that that to me, uh, and you ask my wife and she'll tell you, that was where her greatest spiritual growth took place. Um, she loves the smaller gatherings. She loved being able to talk about marriage issues, kid issues with with a, just a small group of people. And uh, that that for us, it didn't, uh, it didn't supplant church, the big church, because that's where we serve, Jim. We wanted to serve our community and serve uh, our, our church body by going to church and doing that, teaching Sunday school. We, we did that as well. But but we just felt like that the, our spiritual growth came in home groups and, and obviously our prayer lives together 
uh, doing Bible studies together. Uh, that's how uh, my wife and I discipled each other, really. That is so good, man. Well, you know, we're in the middle of this COVID uh, pandemic thing, and, and Oregon is still fairly shut down. And, you know, I've been in, I was in ministry full time for about 25 years. And through this pandemic, we launched a home group. And that home group morphed. And, at the, and anyway, my wife made a comment to me I thought was so powerful. She said, in all of the years that we've gone to church and worked in church together, the most spiritual time I've ever had on Sunday morning has been our home group. And I mm. think that guys need to hear what you're saying. And this COVID is no excuse for a guy to sit on his hands. This is a great time to pull his wife into another group and find another community, even though it may not look like the Sunday morning church. Oh, no doubt, Jim. I, I am with you 100% on that. We saw marriages saved. We saw kids getting rescued by other parents. You know, that would be, I mean, just our home group parents hearing things in the neighborhood, what the kids were involved in. I mean, it, it is it is such a rich place for, for God's word to go out and, and for us to be able to minister to each other in that small group way. And, and we had the prayer chains going whenever something came up, you know, the home group would have the prayer chain go. So I mean, it, it is, it's that intimate place where God spoke to us clearly throughout our marriage. Yeah, that's so good, man. You know, I, I said something earlier and I have to recant it. I think I made a mistake. I thought I said that one of your earlier statements was the most powerful statement of your book. And I think I'm wrong. I think on page 19, <laughs> I think on page 19, I, I found a statement that was better. I just forgot about it. And I want you to unpack this because I have never heard this phrase before. And I grew up with a very uh, passionate father <laughs> when it came to sports. And he, uh, uh, you know, very, very st strong in his uh, passion. Right. And right. Uh, I guess maybe back then it would have been a helicopter coach in all my sports. He was the only coach in all four high school pictures type of thing. Uh, you know, and I know with my kids, I tried to not push them as hard because I was a Christian, but to let them find their way. But when you you said something in your book on page 19, and it all came together for me, mm. you said this, that is the question every stakeholder involved needs to answer. I believe the game belongs to the children. That's how we respect it. The right and proper perspective is what needs to be taught, measured, and brought into account. And then later on page 25, you said it again. Let's make sure the game belongs to the children. Can you explain that? That is so powerful to me. And I think sometimes we can fly over it. And I want guys who are listening to this podcast to stop and think, what does it mean the game belongs to the children? Or for you music parents, the music belongs to your children. I mean, what what is it in that statement that is so powerful, Pat? Oh, man. Well, here it is, Jim. I, I believe God designed sports. <laughs> I believe he owns it. It's, it's his. He's given it to us. He's given it to us to enjoy. But most of all, he's given it to our kids. It's Sport is a place that kids are going to learn incredible skills. So the game belongs to them. God gave them the game so that they could learn and grow closer to him. That is my belief. And when parents get in the way, when uh, officials get in the way, uh, they steal the joy. They steal from the kids, I think, at that point, when they interject themselves into the game in such a way that they, they take away the fun and the enjoyment. When you ask any seven- or eight-year-old kid, why are you participating in sports, listen to their answer. And almost 100% of times, because it's fun. I get to play with my friends, right? Ask that same question when they're 13 or 14. 
you're going to get a whole bunch of different answers. And sometimes those answers are not going to be what you want to hear. And so I think at that point, it's, it's because parents, officials, others have interjected themselves into a game that God designed for kids to enjoy and learn and grow. It's a game. Amen. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It is a game. And if our, if our, if we as men can understand that about our kids, and I guess the other thing is this, it's a game that has nothing to do with you. Your day is done. It's now your opportunity to highlight your kids without being a helicopter or what you also talked about in your book, which I won't get into because my guys, uh, I beat this one to death is this is not a participation trophy thing either. Right. That doesn't teach kids the right thing, but let's, let's dive in here and talk about something that in your book, you you weave this concept of sports and farming, parenting and farming. <clears throat> Let's talk about planting the right seeds as parents. So at the end of the day, we, we believe that sports is a great opportunity to plant the right seeds. On page 47 of your book, you said, getting the right seed in mind is the biggest piece of the puzzle. We must know what we want to reap so we can grow, or we w- must know what we want to reap so we can know what to plant. Right. And the second law of sowing you talked about is reaping when the reaping kicks in. So you, can you talk about these, this law of sowing and reaping that you talk about in your book and why it's so important for us as parents to understand? Yeah, Jim, well, obviously it's biblical. God has a lot to say about that. You know, and I, I use that farming metaphor. I, I just, I love the word pictures. I'm left-handed, right? So I get this creative brain that works, right? But I love how God teaches us even biblically, you know, what that message is through farming. And, and if you relate it back to your parenting skills, it, it goes directly to that. You know, if you've got to think about the outcome uh, in terms of what kind of seed you want to plant. Right. So if you want a kid that's going to be respectful and uh, plays by the rules and learns the game, then what seeds are you planting in their life to teach them those types of skills? Um and I think that also goes back to um, the modeling seed. You know, how are we modeling that? You know, are we are we reacting in anger when an umpire makes a bad call? Are we, you know, getting upset if if the coach doesn't play our our, our kids enough? Um, you know, what what types of seeds are you planting there? Because the kids know it; they see everything, right? So uh, it goes back to what what are the outcomes do you want for your kids? What 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 type of uh, of of fruit <laughs> do you want them to grow in them? And it, and it goes back. And I just think the metaphor of, of, of planting and sowing and reaping uh, plays so well as we think about that with our kids. And, um, you know, you, you want to look. Here's the other thing, too, Jim. We're going to make mistakes. Uh, the weeds are going to grow up at times. Uh, we're going to have to cultivate. We're going to have to trim things back. We, we, you know, God's very explicit about that, too. When 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 things get out of whack, we got to go trimming and we have to recognize those things as well. So it's not just the planting of the right seeds. It's what happen, What happens when it starts to sprout and grow with your kids. And if it starts to become something that you don't want or you don't like, you got you to take a step back and say, okay, how do we rework the soil here? What do we got to do to create what we want on the, on the back end? And so that's the most difficult thing as a parent. You know, I, I hear a lot of parents say, you know, I, I didn't get the manual. I'm, I'm still learning all this, right? I'm not, I'm not a sport parent. A lot, a lot of parents that never played sports or kids are playing. They're learning all this for the first time. So, again, that's why I think that, the book will help you plant some of the right seeds too. But um, I would say this, uh, hit your knees, pray, ask God to teach you what he wants your kids to learn. And uh, I think there's no better way to do that than through his word and through prayer. 
I really appreciate it. I mean, I've been saying all my life, it's really that simple. You know, mm. in fact, I was reading the Bible just this morning and in first Timothy four, six, Paul's admonishing Timothy, Timothy to have correct doctrine and follow the words of faith. And I thought that's really interesting because the correct doctrine is the Bible and the words of faith is not the Bible. The words of faith is trusted people in our lives that speak truth about God to us. And we need both of those people in our lives. You know, you, so you had a guy like that in your life and I can't believe this is his real name. <laughs> I can't, it, it can't be his real name is flip flipping. Is that a real name or is that a nickname? And tell us about how flip flipping was there to speak truth into your life. Yeah. Well, uh, it is his real name. I mean, he, <laughs> he's got a, a name that he won't allow us to, to, you say publicly, uh, it's a, it's a <laughs> really bad Texas name. So um, MB Flippin', but uh, yeah, so we call him Flip. But he's always been known as Flip since his, uh, his school days. Uh, but he's a, an incredible man. Um, you know, he uh, I, I work with his company, uh, Teamalytics. That's where we do the behavioral analytics side of what we do. But he uh, he's done that in education for years, too. So he's just a, an awesome guy, great mentor. Yeah. Years ago, when I met Flip, he began speaking truth into my life about things that I hadn't heard before. I mean, I, you know, and, and Jim, you know this as, you know, as a young athlete, you know, we, we see it all the time. If, if you're, if you excel in sports, you typically are surrounded by people who, who are encouraging you, they're affirming you, but they're probably, unless it's your coach, they're not, they're not probably giving you a lot of negative feedback, you know, and, you see that a lot, even in colleges. These some of these guys don't even have to go to class, right? They 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 get they get passed through classes because they can they're, they're excelling in a sport, right? So when I got out of baseball, um, I met Flip soon after that, and he was a truth teller. He just began telling me things that he wanted uh, me to recognize and become aware of and to change. So, and one of those at the time was your marriage. Can you walk us through the analytics that you went through on on the drive somewhere with a phone call to your wife? Oh man. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll try to get through that without getting too an emotional. Cause that, that was a huge turning point in my life and in my marriage. But Dale, you talk about analytics, right? And how I know how much you enjoy it. It's pretty simple, right? Uh, we're driving down the road one day. I'm taking flip actually to a speaking event and I had my cell phone out on the, on the, the, uh, the deck of the dashboard there and charging up. When we're driving flip just says, Hey, um, uh, how are things going at home? I said, well, what do you mean, Flip? He said, well, how's your marriage going? And I said, well, that's kind of personal. I, at that point, I'd only known Flip for about three months. And I said, that's kind of a personal question, Flip. And I'm, I'm trying to dodge it. Get around it. He wasn't going to let go of it. So finally, I said, Flip, it's great. I have a great marriage. I mean, Christine and I are, are good. And he goes, well, how good? Give me a, on a one to 10. Here's the metric, Dale. One to 10. How's it going? Oh, man, Flip. Um, nine and a half. It's a nine and a half. He goes, wow, that's amazing. You must be an incredible husband. I said, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we're doing good. He let it go, right? 15 minutes later, he grabs my phone and starts messing with it. And I'm like, Flip, what are you doing? He goes, don't worry, keep keep driving. You're, you keep your eyes on the road. And I see him hit the button, put the phone to his ear. I'm like, Flip, what are you doing? Who are you calling? He said, don't worry about it. Hey, Christina, this is Flip. I'm on Pat's phone, but everything's okay. We're just driving to an event. But I wanted to ask you a question. We were having a really great conversation about how he's doing as, as a husband at home. So can you help me out here on a one to 10, 10 being high, how is he treating you? How is he doing as a husband? Now I can faintly hear her voice in the background and she didn't struggle with this answer at all, Jim. She said, I could hear it clearly. Well, Flip, it's a four. 
He says, really, tell me more about that. And for the next three minutes, they're having this conversation as I'm trying to grab the phone out away from Flip. <laughs> and my head is about to pop. And I'm my first thought was, does my bride understand what she is doing to me right now? This is my boss, the guy yeah. I just came to work with. And she is just throwing me under the bus unmercifully. And I was angry. I was so upset. And at the end of the conversation, Flip hangs up with her. And he turns to me and he said, he said, boy, we got some work to do. I said, yeah. I, <laughs> I said, uh, I said, Flip, I heard the score. He goes, yeah, four. He said, man, hey, um, I know it's a four today, but it's not going to be a four next Friday or ever again, will it? And I said, well, what does that mean, Flip? He said, here's what we're going to do. Every Friday at four o'clock, you're going to call me and you're going to give me a score. I said, well, I can do that. He goes, nope, not, not your score on you. I want Christina's score on you. And I said, Flip, that's not fair. He said, no, it's entirely fair. If you want to call Susan and ask her her score on me, you can do that. Every Friday, I'll let you do that as well, okay? But we're going to grow. you got some work to do. And I said, Flip, what is the deal? He said, son, listen to me. Uh, yeah, I hired you to, to be a, a developer of people, to, to help people develop their leadership skills. If you're not leading at home, you're not working for me. And it was at that point, Jim, I, I thought, gosh, I mean, that, that is, that's the truth, right? And I got home that night. I was so upset with Christina, but God did something in my heart between the end of the day and getting home to her. And I walked in and I said, um, honey, I'm sorry. I, I'm a four and I get it. I don't ever want to be a four again. Tell me what I need to do. And Jim, that was the point my marriage changed, my life changed, and it was the most impactful day of my life when I look back at it. That is so powerful. I, I really appreciate you sharing that in the book. When, when you read the story in the book, it's funny, but to hear your emotion, our listeners understand that it was an aha moment for you. I, I had the same thing happen in 1995 at Promise Keepers, and then again in 2008, when my wife and I took a test to rank our marriage and I scored an 89 out of a hundred and she scored a 32. <laughs> so to, if it makes you feel any better, I was a three out of 10 and you were a four. So you beat me. Oh anyway, man! But, but those are turning points yeah. in our marriages. Right. And so, you know, uh, this isn't in your book, but we're, we're speaking here in the context of sports and balance and keeping Jesus first. Have you seen marriages the marriages of sports parents crumble at about year 15, 16, 17, 18, when the kids get out of sports and now the parents are just left with each other and they've made the child, the center of the universe. Have you seen that? And what would you recommend against that? Yeah, Jim, I think it's a huge challenge. It's a tremendous challenge for our marriages because we pour so much into our kids. And that goes back to that word balance, right? As, as much as we're trying to disciple minister to our children, are we doing the same with our spouses? And I think that is uh, a huge issue. Uh, and I see Christian parents struggle with it, you know. And Oh, yeah. It, it's got to go back to, again, the why and the design. You have to answer that why question. Why are you involved with your kids in sports? Uh, what, what does God want to do with them in, in, in the sport world? Um, and then our job is obviously to keep that balance of, you know, I have as, as much responsibility to minister to my wife as I do my kids. And you, you've just got to continue to, to, I think, use those metrics, Jim. And to me, that the questions we ask our spouses are the most important. When I, when I ask my wife almost every week now, 
honey, how am I doing? Is there an area I, I can get better in? How can I help you? You know, you've got to get really good at asking those questions and, and know where you stand in, in your marriage. And when, when something breaks down, when, when, you know, you don't want it to go five, six months down the road to try to fix it. Why not do it that week? You know, when you have a breakdown, let's, let's get the metric behind it. Let's ask those questions. What can I do better? How can I best serve you? How can I love you more? No, that, that is really powerful. I, I, there's so many things about this podcast I'm appreciating right now. You know, one of the things you said in your book was one of the greatest lessons we can teach our children, especially through sports, is to get outside of themselves. And and I think as as men, we need to get outside of ourselves too. step back and assess honestly things like our marriage, our children, our, our, our spirituality. How did you navigate through all that, Pat, to find that balance? Well, I, I will tell you this. For, the first thing is I, I surrounded myself with, with men who would speak truth into my life and who, who would hold me accountable. I've got three men in particular that can ask me any question, anytime. And not only can they ask me those questions, they can ask my wife those questions. <laughs> so I think there's, there's, I think, it really comes down to strong accountability, Jim. I really do. Um, I'll say the other thing, I, just staying grounded in God's word. It's so easy too when your life gets busy and your kids are going in 18 different directions and, and you start to skip your, your studies in the morning and your quiet times and your prayer time and you're not abiding, you're not hearing from the Lord. Uh, when you cut yourself off from God, uh, you just open yourself up for destruction. And Jim, I'm saying it because I've been there. I've done it many times. I've had those valleys where I've caught myself and I said, Oh Lord, man, I have not been with you in a week. I, I need to, I need to get back with you. I'm, I miss you, you know? And so I've been there guys. I, I understand it. Um, so I think it's, it's again, the, the, the truth tellers, the accountability has been really key for me. Um, you know, I, I can tell you this, like a lot of athletes, you know, I, I had the same things that worked effectively for me in baseball, being a little bit arrogant, being a little cocky, being edgy, those served me well in the game, but outside the lines of the baseball field, they were not good. And I needed, I needed some strong people to help me in my life. And I'm, I'm thankful God surrounded me with them, some really incredible men. Well, one of the things that you brought up in my mind just now, which I don't think I read in the book, was this. If I'm a parent traveling with my kid 30 weekends a year, when do I get my Sabbath? How do I get my rest? And a lot of these guys, I think, are going to work on Monday exhausted because they never really had rest. How does a parent uh, who's raising sports kids find that time, that desperate time they need to rest and reinvigorate, reinvigorate themselves and, inv and and pour into maybe their marriage? How, how do guys, how did you find that Sabbath time? Yeah. Well, we, a lot of these things we did, Jim, on the road, if we were traveling with our kids, we did together. My wife w was always there and uh, we, as much as she could be. There were oftentimes or sometimes when we had one kid playing one tournament, another one playing somewhere else, we had to split that weekend. But, you know, I think, it, again, it just goes back to um, when things get out of whack, like some of these tournaments and things, when kids are playing three or four games a day, first of all, the tournament official needs to be shot because they shouldn't, kids shouldn't be playing that many games in one day. But I think it's again, it's it's our responsibility to to manage those situations. You know, if if I'm too exhausted because I'm spending all weekend watching sports, playing sports, you know, with my kids in sports, I mean, you got to stop and say, at what point do I say that's enough or it's too much, and and pull the reins back. You control your schedule, right? Don't let your schedule control you. If if you're if you're not spending time in the Word and you're neglecting the spiritual side of your life. I mean, what do you think that's going to reap? 
I mean, that, that you're just playing with danger there. So I think it's just a, a managing of your time and your schedules and, and be, be man enough to step up and pull the reins back when you need to. Oh, good call out. Be man enough to pull the reins back or have those three accountability partners who will pull the reins if you don't see them. So I, I, I mentioned, I mentioned this once I want to mention again, uh, just read this book, finished it Monday. Great book, Pat, uh, more than a score guys. Uh, pick this book up. If you are a parent who has a child who is involved in extracurricular activities, it doesn't even have to be sports. You really need to read this. It gives you a great perspective. Uh, Pat is uh, outside of the stress bubble and looking back. And, and man, I'll tell you what, he can help you. So check out that book and I uh, really appreciate your time, Pat. Uh, but before we go, Pat, I want to get our boots on the ground. We always want our guys to have an action item, something they can do because they listen to this podcast. And, and here's what I want to do, guys. This one's going to be really easy. We're just going to call this boots on the ground the flip flipping. <laughs> We're just going to call it the what it is. I want you to I want you to ask your wife to rank your marriage one to ten, and I want you to tell one of your bros who you trust and who has the guts to call you out. So ask your wife to rank your marriage and then go tell one of your bros. And some of you right now listen to this, you're driving to work, you're, you're, you're driving your kids to sports and you're listening to this. You're like, man, I'm not going to ask my wife. I, I, I think it's an eight, but she's going to say a two. Hey, have the guts and do it anyway and watch God transform your life. Thanks so much for coming on, Pat. I had a great time. Oh man, Jim, what a blessing. Love you guys. Take care. <laughs> Hey, no problem. And Dale, what do you have next, man? Take us home. Yeah, guys, we want you to head on over to meninarena.org and pick up your free electronic version of Jim's book, Guts and Manhood. This is available for free until the end of October. Also, check out our auction. It is live. You can go to our website as well and register there. If you have any questions, send us an email, info at meninarena.org. And the auction does end on November 7th. So thank you. And... Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.